We are in a sermon series uh, from the book of James. Uh, Most of the year we preach topically, and what I mean by that is we pick a topic of the Christian life to preach on and then find the, the scripture verses that go with that topic. That's what we do most of the time. But one sermon series a year, we preach straight through a book of the Bible. And so we're going to spend, uh, we've been in James now since September the 23rd, and we're going to be here until November the 11th, I think, as we just take the book of James as it comes. And the proponents of, of, of just preaching all the time through the book, do you know I knew a pastor one time that spent 20, listen to this, 27 straight years in the book of Matthew. That would just kill a church, I think. I, I don't know. But the good thing about preaching straight through a book of the Bible is you got to take it as it comes. Uh, You don't get to skip the hard passages or the passages that I don't understand too well or the passages that will step on your toes. You have to take it as it comes. And so that's what we're doing in the book of James. We started out on September the 23rd with the second chapter of the book of James because that's the heartbeat of the book of James. We'll return there today and bear down on that just a little bit more. If you are <clears throat> an Ohio State Buckeye fan, which I know is rather frustrating right now, boiler up, um, you would be asked if you were a Ohio State Buckeye fan, well, how, how, how often do you get to go to the shoe? And you would also be asked, how many games do you get to watch on TV? And um, you also might be asked, well, you know, you listen to them on the radio, or check them out on the internet. Uh, check out the Sunday paper afterwards. And if, you're ne- if your answer to n- was no to all those questions, everyone would say, think it's really silly that you would call yourself Ohio State Buckeye fan if you never go to the shoe, if you, uh, if you never ever listen to them on the radio or watch them on TV or check them out on the internet or check them out on Sunday morning in the paper. People say, well, it's really weird that you would call yourself an Ohio State Buckeye fan. In fact, I even doubt the fact that you're a Ohio State Buckeye fan if you don't care enough even to look them up in the newspaper what they did the next day. Now, that's what James is saying. James is basically saying, if you're a Buckeye fan, you got to act like it. That's what he's saying. Of course, not in the realms of a Buckeye fan. He's saying, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you need to act like it. If you're a Christian, if you say you have faith, if you have a profession of faith, you need to live like it. That faith must work out in your life in some way. That's what the book of James is about. That's the heartbeat of the book of James. As he writes his letter to the Jews, as he writes it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he he says, if someone brings you into a court and accuses you of being a Christian, will there be enough evidence to convict you? And he's very, very concerned about that. And so we return to chapter 2, which is the heartbeat of the book of James. We spent two weeks in chapter 1. We have uh, spent two weeks in chapter 2, and this will be the third week we're in chapter 2 as we move to chapter 3 next week. And chapter 3 basically is the use of your tongue. And James says, if you say you have faith, if you call yourself a Christian, it will absolutely be displayed by what you say and what you don't say and how you say it and all of that kind of stuff. And that's in James chapter three. 
But today we're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. If you have your Bible, open it up there. If you have your on your phone or whatever you need to, if there's, there's Bibles by most of the exits, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you take one of these. That's our gift to you. If you know someone that doesn't have a Bible, take one and give it to them. That's our uh, gift and part of the ministry that we want to conduct. So James chapter 2 is where we're going to start today. And James, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, what good is it? What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds or works or whatever your translation may say? What good is it? What good is it if you say that you have faith but it doesn't work out in your life in some way. Can such faith save you? I think that's a rhetorical question. And the answer that James would say to that is no. Can such faith save you? Next verse. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. And may I add something to that that I think is, who am I to add to the inspired word of God? But I, I'm going to anyway, okay? Because it's a, it's a little bit of a pet peeve that I have. So this is Mark talking. This is not, this is not um, me preaching God's word. If one of you says to him, go in peace. Keep warm, well fed. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. But doesn't want to help out with their physical needs in any way. James says, what good is that? Do you know that God wants you to be the answer to a lot of people's prayers? Do you know that? God wants me. God wants us as the body of Christ to be the answer to a lot of prayers. If one of you, uh, next verse, please. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith by itself, just faith, just believing some truths, just a mental assent to some truth, if it's not a two-sided coin, if, it, if, if there's no response to that faith, if it's not accompanied by action or works or deeds, James just flat out says, he doesn't say it's immature. He doesn't say it's an infant faith. He doesn't say you're a babe in Christ. He says, the faith is dead. What good is it? What good is it? And we return to verse 14, and that little phrase that says, what good is it? That, that's, that's one Greek word in the original language, and you find that showing up just a, one other place in all of Scripture, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And all of 1 Corinthians basically is about the resurrection of Christ. And, and, and it's basically he's saying that if Christ not be raised from the dead, then let's just go eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. This whole thing is a farce. If Christ not be raised from the dead, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, let's just, who cares? Let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. This whole, this whole thing is made up. So Paul argues all of that way in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And he writes in verse 32, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hope, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, 
let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The phrase there, what have I gained, is the same Greek word that Paul says in James chapter 2, what good is it? It's the same Greek word. The older translations will say, what does it profit you? Same Greek word. Paul says, what have I gained if there's no resurrection from the dead, even though I've I've, I've, I've lived for Christ and I've fought wild beasts in Ephesus and in my missionary journeys. What good is that if Christ is not raised from the dead? Uh, what, what's to be gained by that? And the same, that's the same word as James says, hey, what good is it if you have faith? But in some way, it doesn't work out in your life. I can remember sev- several years ago, way back when I was young, in my 30s or something, we were we were looking for a new car and we, and we were at the dealership and we kind of liked this one. We asked the guy about it and we sat in it and it looked good and feel good and had, had all the bells and whistles on it and all the kind of stuff that we wanted and what we didn't want and all that kind of stuff. And, and I said, well, let's take a test drive in it. And we turned it on and we, it started right up and I put it in reverse and it clunk, 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 clunk. It had a flat tire. What good is that car with all the bells and whistles and no matter how good it looked, what good is a car? I don't, I don't care how cool it is and how many bells and whistles it has and it has that cool little mirror, that cool little video thing that helps you see when you back up and all that cool stuff if it's got a flat tire. What good is it? What does it profit me if I have that kind of a car? I, I coached basketball for 14 years, eight years at the college level and six years at the high school level. We had many, many players who were naturally gifted, naturally talented. God had given them an unbelievable body. God had given them height. God had given them legs that can jump out of the gym. God had given them skills, an unbelievable amount of talent, more talent than a lot of other people seem to have, but they just don't play hard. They won't grit their teeth and dive on the floor for a loose ball. They just don't have it right here. What good is all that talent? What good is it if you really won't use it? We bought our homes. Some of you that have been in this church for a long time knows that we bought our home from Mike and Sylvia Bodorf and, and our, that, that house has a safe in it. But they forgot the combination. And we don't have a combination. What good is that safe? We just cover it up with a picture. It's no good to us. We can put all kinds of cool stuff in there, but we can't do it now. What good is that safe to us if you don't have a combination to it? I've told you before that on Craigslist, I went to Middletown, Ohio and bought an inversion table because I know it helps my pinched nerve and my bulging disc in the back. If I will just get on that twice a day, but it's down in the basement, I forget, my back's feeling okay, I won't go down there. It's just, what good is that table to me? What good is that table to me? Statistics say that Christians divorce at the same rate than unbelievers. What good is your faith? If your faith doesn't allow you to reconcile and a faith doesn't allow you to give and take and a faith doesn't allow you to forgive and a faith doesn't allow you to say you're sorry and if, 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 your, faith, if your faith doesn't allow you to get along as a husband and wife, then you're just like the rest of the world. What good is your faith? If your faith doesn't allow you to deal with, within your sexual life in a different way 
than the unbelieving world. What good is your faith? If your faith doesn't make you a better spouse, what good is your faith? There's been at least one time in my 22 years of marriage that I've had to say I'm sorry. There may have been a few more times than that, but I can remember one. And Sue's and I asked her to forgive me, and her response was, as it always is when I say I'm sorry, I've already done, I've already forgiven you. Because as Christians, you just can't hold anything against your spouse. That's antithetical to the Christian faith, and you're just like the rest of the unbelieving world. You're just like all the other marriages. If you just allow a fence to tack up on a fence and stack up on a fence, and you're just like all the other marriages. What good is it? Your faith, if that's the type of husband or that's the type of wife that you are, what good is your faith if you're the same kind of father that everybody else is? What good is your faith if you're the same type of employee? I was a brand new Christian, and I think I probably told you this before. I'm getting close to 60, so I can't remember anymore. And, but I was a brand new Christian. I was... I was like a, a year old or 18 month old Christian and, and there was this brand new movement started back in 1995, 96. It, it was weird, none of us ever heard of it. It was called Promise Keepers and they were having this conference in um, Dallas and they did weird things like fill up football stadiums. And so me and some other guys from my church, we wanted to go, but I didn't have any personal days left as a teacher. I'd already used my personal days. I don't remember how many you get, you got two or three days you could take for any reason. And I already used all those. I didn't have any other days to take. Now I could have been like the world and called up. <coughs> I'm really sick this morning. <laughs> I got the flu. Can't come in today. I could have called off like the rest of the world does. But, it's, but I'm a new creation in Christ. And I went to my principal and I said, Listen, Mr. Gerke, i got to be honest with you, I don't have any personal days left. And I really want to go to this conference. This conference was like in April. And I'd already resigned my teaching position because I knew I was going into the ministry. He knew I was going into the ministry. I said, Mr. Gerke, could I take three days off without pay? He says, sure. Sure. If, if your faith doesn't make you a different employee, what good is it, James says? And so, went to the conference, came back, got my paycheck, and it was a full paycheck. Full paycheck. No three days missing. So I went to Mr. Gerke, and I said, Mr. Gerke, you, you forgot to mark off those three days. And he says, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Good things happen when you trust God. And don't lean on your own understanding. If you have saving faith, James says, it makes you a better spouse. If it doesn't make you a better spouse, what good is it? If it doesn't make you a better employee, what good is it? If it doesn't make you a better father, what good is it? If it doesn't make you a better business owner? I can remember several years ago, we had some roof work done, and we hired one of them guys. Back then, you had... Some of you young people, there used to be something called yellow pages. We don't have those anymore, okay? Remember when you used to have phone books? 
Greg McAfee used to pay a whole bunch of money to have an ad in the yellow pages. Now, I bet he doesn't do that probably anymore. And, and, but we used to have, and then you came out with something, the Christian yellow pages. So I, I, I pulled the Christian yellow pages out so I could get an honest roofer. So he pulled up and he had a little cross on his van. And he quoted me a price and did the work and come to the end of the job and his price changed. Not the same price. And I called him on it. I said, man, well, well, well. I, did that. I said, this is the price you quoted me. You didn't come back and say it have to change, man. What's, what's the deal, man? And I looked him square in the eye and I said, man, there's a cross on your van. Well, I separate my business from my personal life. What good is it, my brothers? If you have faith, but it doesn't work out some way in your life. And some of you are saying right now, well, the good is heaven. Heaven. James says, can such faith save you? James 1.26 he says, your faith is useless if it doesn't work out in helping needy people and staying unpolluted from the world. 117, he calls your faith dead if it doesn't have works. 120, he calls your faith, 220, excuse me, calls your faith dead if it doesn't have work. 226, he calls your faith dead if it doesn't have works. Man, James just, I mean, he just nails you with it. And by the way, this is not just James. Because if you go to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one who glorifies the cross more than anyone else, Apostle Paul says there are none not righteous, no, not one, there's nothing you can do to gain interest to heaven. The Apostle Paul who bears down on that in all 13 of his letters in the Bible, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, it is by grace you have been saved. It's through your faith, but it's by grace that you have been saved. And this is not from yourselves. This is a gift that God gives you. And so verse 9 then says, this is not by works, because if it was by works, you'd brag about it. And I would too. And I'd brag that I'm a better Christian than you because I do more work than you do. And so... The, the deal is here, salvation is not to be earned. Salvation is a gift, and it's not of works. Because it's of works, you would boast about it. And Paul says that in a hundred different ways in all of his 13 epistles. But then in verse 10, he says this, You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So Paul says this grace that saves you works out in your life. This grace, that's a free gift. God prepares it that you would be his handiwork, some translations, his workmanship, that you would work this out in your life. So Paul, the, the, the biggest preacher of the cross, the biggest preacher of no works, says this grace that is a gift of God, this salvation that is a gift of God, the purpose of this salvation is for that you would have good works. And it would work out somewhere in your life. That's, that's the biggest preacher of no works that ever could be. 
And then in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, one of my favorite scriptures in all God's word, we preached on this four or five years ago, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's appeared to all men. And this grace, what does this grace do? It teaches us. Well, this grace is just, this grace is just uh, my free ticket to heaven. Got it. Walk the aisle, join the church, been baptized. No, 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 Titus says, this grace, this grace, this free gift, it teaches us something. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life now. Now. Not in the by and by, not when we get to heaven one day, now. That's what this free gift of salvation does. Next. And then while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us so we could go to heaven. Who gave himself for us so I could get to see my daddy one day. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his very own eager to do what is good. This is not a James thing. This is a Bible thing. James just happens to bear down on it for the whole book. And then Paul in Galatians chapter five, Paul in Galatians chapter five says, you know, the Jews were saying, hey, we're circumcised. We got the inroad here. We're circumcised. And that, that's Old Testament teaching and all that kind of stuff. If you know your Old Testament. And, but Paul says, you know, in Christ Jesus, in the new covenant, in Christ Jesus, not in the Old Testament times, in Christ Jesus, circumcision, uncircumcision, big deal. doesn't make any difference. What counts is faith. Why didn't he put a period right there? What counts is your faith. What counts is your belief, period. What counts is that you believe. What counts is you've been baptized. What counts is you go to church. No, what counts is your faith working itself out in love. It's not a James thing, friends. It's a Bible thing. Saving faith is a two-sided coin. Belief, trust on one side, and working that out and a changed life on the other side. However imperfectly we work it out, it's the two sides of the same coin. Whether it's James, whether it's Paul, whether it's Titus, whether ever it's whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, you can't deny this. It's the whole Old Testament. There's one coin and on one side of it is faith, and on the other side of it is a changed life. I don't think the same way anymore. I don't talk the same way anymore. I don't do the same things I used to do. It's almost like I'm a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away, and all things have become new. It's not a James thing. James just nails it, nails it, nails it, hammers it home, hammers it home hammers at home. James says, your faith, 
there must be a response to it. It's just not a static thing. It's just not a mental ascent to some truths. I believe some things. No, James says that belief, that faith, that trust must have a response in your life. And he gives us three examples of response. The first example is a negative response. It's in 2.19. And he says, you believe there's one God? Big deal. Even the demons believe that. Now he's writing to Jewish Christians. Last night, Saturday night, all Jewish synagogues in, in the greater Dayton area, when they, they meet on the Sabbath, right? So they met on Saturday night. And all Jewish synagogues, they start their service with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Paul says, you believe there's one God? Good for you. 90% of the world believes that. Big deal. The demons do that. The demons know more, demons know more theology than I do. When they saw Jesus, they called him out. It says, there is the Son of God. When the other people around hadn't even claimed Jesus as the Son of God, the demon said, there is Jesus, the Son of God. The demons know. The demons are orthodox in their, in their belief. They know Christian doctrine. But their only response is to shudder in fear. Their only response is to tremble. Could it be in this church, that church, that church, over in that state, over in that county, over in that part of the world, there are people in churches listening to sermons today that have a demonic faith. A faith that their only response is fear of God. And I better go to church today because he may take his holy baseball bat and knock me upside the head if I don't. That's their only response. It's a shuddering just a respect for a God. So James says faith should have a response. And he gives an example of a negative response, one that is not desired. It's tough, isn't it? Let's just talk about heaven. It's a lot better, isn't it? Let's just sing when we all get to heaven. Why don't we just sing? Doesn't that make us feel a lot better? But when you preach through a book of the Bible, you've got to take what you like and what you don't like. You've got to take the passages that make you feel all goose good and got to take the passages that make you scratch your head and have I got the goods or not? Even the demons respond. It's not the response that God is looking for, which is good deeds, good works. But even they respond. And then he gives two positive examples of response. Now he says up above, if your faith doesn't have any response to it, can that faith save you? James says in 2.14. And so he gives a negative example of response in 2.19. And then in 2.20 and following, he gives it this. You foolish person. <laughs> James just goes, you foolish person. 
I should have looked that up in the Greek to see what that is. You know what it is? It probably is. You foolish person. <laughs> Do you want evidence that faith without works is useless? Well, let's, let's, let's call some people to the stand. Abraham, father of the faithful, come on in here. Come on in here. Let's, let's call you to the stand. and We need some evidence. And so Abraham comes in in verse 21 says, was not our father Abraham? Our father, Abraham. It's the father of the faithful. The, the Christian faith goes back to Abraham. The Jewish faith goes back to Abraham. The Muslim faith goes back to Abraham. Our father, Abraham. Some of you remember that song, Father Abraham, many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? I, I don't even like to talk about this because it, it's this story in the Bible. Some of you know your Bibles and God told Abraham to take his son, his, his only son, Isaac. Told him to take him on top of Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. And James says, was not our father Abraham Consider righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete. That word could be mature. Complete is a fine translation, but it could be mature. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Next verse. And the scripture was fulfilled. The scripture was proved right when it said Abram believed God and God counted that as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. You cannot, if you take Genesis 15, 6 out of your Bible, we don't have a Bible anymore. All of Paul's writings in Romans is based on Genesis 15, 6. Don't lose that verse. All New Testament theology is based on Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed God. And God counted it as righteousness. And his works, James says, was a fulfillment that showed you that he really believed. That he really had saving faith. Because it worked out in his life. You remember that story, don't you? Genesis 15, 6. Genesis, uh, Abraham, Abram's an old man. And he's married to an old woman, Sarah. And the Bible says she's barren. She cannot have any children. And God comes to him one night and says, look up in the stars, look up in the sky, count all these stars, like you could really do it if you, if, 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 even if you tried, count all these stars and so shall your descendants be, Abram. Wait a minute, I'm over 70, my wife is barren. And the Bible says, Abram took God at his word. Abram believed God. And God counted that faith, that trust, that belief as righteousness. And isn't it interesting in that story, what he was believing for was a son. And our belief is in a son as well. Now we all... If you know Abraham's story, you know he lost a little track, lost his way, 
little bit and decided that God was not strong enough to be able to bring the promised child through a barren wife and an old man. So he, he went to Hagar and tried to bring the promised child himself in his own way. He leaned on his own understanding. He thought he could work this out himself. So he had sexual relations with his slave girl, Hagar. And so there is a son that shouldn't be. There are biblical scholars today that says there are a race of people that should not be in the Middle East because of Abram's unbelief. He repented of that and God miraculously brought Isaac through the barren woman, his wife. And the Bible says, the Bible says that one day God told him to take his son, his only son, Isaac. Even though he had that other son by Hagar, but when God said, take your son, he said, your only son. The other son was a son of your own doing. The other son was a son of your flesh, son of what you could do. Was not a son of the promise. Take your son, your only son, take him out to Mount Moriah. And would you sacrifice him to me? I, don't, I, don't, I skipped that verse. I don't like to preach that because I don't know if I could do it. But Hebrews chapter 11 says, Abraham went with Isaac, fully believing that God could raise him from the dead. And James offers as evidence to faith working itself out in action as Abram, who believed God and was counted as righteousness in 15.6, and then in 22, that belief was proved to be true because he took God at his word and trusted him and was obedient to what God told him. He believed God. He believed his father. Christopher was about four or five years old, and he had some Band-Aid on some boo-boo. Y'all remember boo-boos, don't you? He had some Band-Aid, so it was time to take that Band-Aid off. And, and I said, now, Christopher, I can take this Band-Aid off one of two ways. I can pull it just a little bit at a time, or I can yank it off. Oh, Daddy, don't yank it off. Don't yank it off. Don't yank it off. Okay. Okay. But let me tell you, if you yank it off, it won't hurt. If, if you let me pull it a little bit at a time, it'll be a whole lot more painful. Oh, Daddy, don't yank it off. Christopher, would you trust me? Oh, okay. <laughs> and before he got the K out, I was... <laughs> He trusted his dad. He trusted his father. He did not lean on his own understanding. That's what James is meaning by faith working itself out with deeds and action. Trust, belief leads to obedience. But then he calls one more witness to the stand. Now, remember he said back in 20, you need any evidence about this? And so he calls Abraham. Then he calls, I, I, okay, I'm, I'm okay that he called Abraham, but it's hard for me to identify with Abraham. Father of the faithful, 
you know, taking his son up the top of Mount Moriah. It's hard for me to identify with Abraham, but I can identify with Rahab. She was a Canaanite prostitute. Okay, she was ornery just like me, okay? She wasn't the father of the faithful. She was a Gentile and a prostitute. And the story in Joshua 2 goes that the spies came to spy out the land and she hid the spies to keep them safe. And she says, I know your God is the God of all gods. And she hid the spies, kept them safe. And James uses her as an example of faith working itself out with action in your life. Isn't it amazing that God uses those two examples? The, the Israelite of all Israelites, Abraham. When people talk about the Israel, 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 Israelite nation, they talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the tribes that came from them. He's the father of the faithful. So here's an example. But let me just, think, let me just tell you, since some of you can't relate to him because some of you haven't been as faithful as I, that, let me, let me throw a Canaanite prostitute at you. Let me throw a Gentile at you. Don't you like what God does there? <laughs> what good is it my brothers and sisters, James says, if your faith doesn't work itself out in your life, what good is it? And then we finish this account, we finish chapter 2 with 2.26. And in 2.26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So what's our response to this message? Well, boy, I, I should have gone to the panhandle. <laughs> Man, where's that, where's, that, where's that bulletin insert about going helping the needy? I, I need to find that. I need to have more deeds in my life. I got to do some more deeds. Work, work, work. Do some more deeds. Chalk them off. Chalk them off the list. Where, I, I need to do, do, do. I need to do more. If that is your response, you are a legalist. You are think that you can earn your salvation. See, James is not talking about a faith, a, a, a legitimate faith, a legitimate faith that doesn't work itself out. James is talking about a faith that's not even a legitimate faith. He called it dead in 26. It's not the real deal. That's why in the first message on September 23rd, I said, this is not a contrast between faith and works. It absolutely is not a contrast between faith and works. It's a contrast between a living faith and a dead faith. So if you go out and I got to do more, I got to scatter more, I got to do, do more, I got to do, got to do, got to do, got to do. It's not the response. The response is, if you don't have a faith that has worked itself out in a changed life, you don't have what the old timers used to call the goods. You need the real deal. You got a whole dose of church, but you don't have a dose of Jesus. Because if you got a dose of Jesus, it can't help but work out in your life. 
Imperfectly, of course. Imperfectly, of course. You see, friends, I'm not the same man I used to be. Something happened to me. I got saved. I got born again. I'm a new creation in Christ. And I don't have to put a a to-do list of good things I need to do today. It just flows, man. I can't help it. It just flows. Imperfectly, of course. But if you're a new creation in Christ, you can't help it. Whoop! I don't want to do that good work. Snatch that back there. No, you can't do that. You're a different person. You talk different. You act different. You go to different places than you used to go. That's the difference between a living faith and a dead faith, James says. So the hard truth, what James is saying If this thing is not working itself out, if you don't feel changed, if you've like to, if you've got a grunt and moan to get those good works out in your life, you don't have the goods. You don't have the real thing. Get to this altar and get your butt saved is what James would say. Be born again. Fall on his mercy. Admit that you're a sinner bound for hell. And Jesus is the only one can save you. And when you come with that kind of faith, something happens, man. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Something happens. And you just get rid of your church anity. And you become a follower of Christ. Has that happened to you? I mean, really happened to you. Don't settle for anything less than that. Because James says, can that faith save you? Hey, preaching a little close here today, Mark. A little close there today, Mark. Better watch it. Fisters might not come back. (laughs) Tell me where I've erred. Is this what it says or not? Now, we may make it up to say something different. And after all, we're, we're, we're and after all, you know, yeah, after all, you know, we're not perfect. I know we're not perfect. How many times today have I said it imperfectly works out in our life? It's what the word says. I don't care what your church teaches you. I don't care what you read. I don't care what your Christian bestseller says. This is what the word says. Can such faith save you? I implore you today. Do you have the real thing? Or are you just going to church? Have you been redeemed? I was listening to some Gaither videos the other day and tears came down my eyes because they were singing, I never shall forget the day. And I'll never forget August 29th, 1993. I never shall forget the day Brock Spear was singing. Has that happened to you? 
Really? It's the faith that you have. A, a faith that can save you according to God's word. Not according to what you think. Not according to what your grandmommy taught you. According to God's word. Our servers are coming to the table. Father. Father, if I've added to this today, if I have preached stuff that is not in your word, if I have erred, if I have preached this too close, then I want you to wipe it out of everybody's mind today as heresy. But if I have preached this the way that it's written, Father, I pray for those who may not have the goods here. I pray for them to fall in the arms of Jesus today. And let that miracle of salvation happen. Let that miracle happen that is explained in your word as being born again. May they become a new creation today. And they, may they say, like many people in this church can, the old things have passed away. And the new things have come. Father, I pray that every man, woman, boy, and girl will not settle for our Christianity less than that. Do your work in people today who will repent and believe. In Jesus' name, amen.